Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Morning, morning. Uh, we are in the middle of this series that um, we've been looking after Easter. We started a little series looking at different types of people that Jesus interacted with. And uh, we first started looking at the disciples. Then, then, and then last week we looked at the Pharisees or the, the, the religious leaders uh, in Jesus's day. But today, kind of falling on Mother's Day, we're going to look at uh, Jesus and how he approached women, just Jesus and women. So just kind of focusing on Mother's Day today, uh, it's going to be more on how Jesus interacted with women and elevated women, uh, the status of women uh, beyond what was known, uh, what was ever even heard about, but then not only that, but he puts them in the middle of God's plan. So uh, let's pray and then we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful Mother's Day. God, I pray that we could sit before your word and, God, have your word speak to us. God, we come, especially maybe in this subject, with some preconceived notions as to what you have said. But, God, I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us through your word and, God, elevate our understanding of who you are, elevate our understanding of the beautiful creation of women. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, I'll start off with a little quote. thought it was pretty profound. Florence Nightingale, from the she's a 19th century uh, English social reformer. She was the founder of modern-day nursing. Uh, she was a statistician. But she said this of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ raised women above the condition of mere slaves, mere ministers to the passions of men, raised them by his sympathy to be ministers of God. Jesus, as he carried out his earthly ministry in a time when females were placed on the social hierarchy somewhere between animals and men, but Jesus elevated their status through his words, his actions, and his miracles. His countercultural approach to women was viewed as maybe one of the most radical aspects of Jesus' ministry. Uh, and sometimes for us to live in a culture as we do today, we become blinded to how much that changed in Jesus' first century. It's ironic that the very ch church Jesus started is now seen by many as the institution with repressive roots when it comes to respecting women. Both inside and outside the church, it seems like we need a little history lesson as to what Jesus actually did or what he actually said. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at how Jesus interacted with women. His regard for the full intrinsic value of women is seen in how he spoke to the women, how he, who he, whom he addressed. He spoke with compassion, mercy, and understanding. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus addressing a particular woman that was from a bleeding disorder, and tenderly he refers to her as daughter. That was unheard of. Even more so in the case when Jesus referred to, and we're going to look at it, this bent woman. He refers to her to, 
as a daughter of Abraham, as opposed to a son of Abraham. That was new. Luke 13, verse 10, Jesus had this encounter. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues of the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the rulers of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which you work ought, that work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But then Jesus answered him, you hypocrites, does, it t- does not each of you on Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? Or ought not this, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on this Sabbath day? And he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Man, tremendous encounter of Jesus kind of bucking against the traditions of men to do the things of God. And that he did that time and time and time again, which we'll see. But renowned uh, theologian Donald Bletch uh, infers that when Jesus called the Jewish woman daughters of Abraham, he was thereby according them equal spiritual status to that of men. Yet at the same time, Jesus didn't gloss over the sin of the lives of the women that he met. He, he met many women who, that he put the personal responsibility of their sin on them, uh, whether it be a woman at the well or a woman taken in adultery or a sinful woman uh, who was anointed at his feet. Their sin wasn't condoned but confronted. Each had the personal freedom and measure of self-determination to deal with the issues of sin, repentance, and forgiveness. Many women in Jesus' day probably had never been looked at, spoken to in this way. But I want us to kind of get into a little bit of the cultural context upon which Jesus came. Because, again, we're kind of so far removed, it's really hard for us. And if you, aren't, uh, if you don't love history, uh, if, if you didn't catch a lot of the things in history, uh, then this will be refreshingly uh, surprising information, because it was for me. But... Um, In ancient Greece, a respectable woman was not allowed to leave the house unless she was accompanied by a trustworthy male escort. This was maybe a couple hundred years before Christ. Greece Greece at the height of uh, its civilization, a few hundred years before Christ. A wife was not permitted to eat or interact with male guests in her husband's home. She had to retire to the women's quarters if the husband had any guests. Men kept their wives under lock and key, and women had the social status of a slave. Girls were not allowed to go to school, and when they grew up, they were not even allowed to speak publicly. Women were considered inferior to men. The Greek poets uh, equated women with evil. And in the Greek lexicon of mythology, I don't know if you remember, but uh, there is one character named Pandora, and she opens her box. Woman was responsible for unleashing evil on the world. That is ancient Greek mythology 
being manifested in their culture. Beliefs and ideas manifest in culture in real ways. Then in Rome, when Rome emerged, the status of Roman women was also very low. Roman law placed a wife under the absolute control of her husband, who had ownership of her and all of her possessions. She, he could divorce her if he, she even went out in public without a veil. A husband had the power of life and death over his wife, not just his children. And as with the Greeks, women were not allowed to speak in public. And then also even in Jewish culture uh, as well, they were barred from public speaking. The oral law prohibited women from reading the Torah out loud. Synagogue worship was segregated. All women were never, uh, with women never allowed to be heard. So what we know from this historical context is that when women who were often viewed by men in usually one of three ways, okay, so this it kind of manifests in one of three ways, usually with lust, obviously. I don't know what woman throughout the centuries hasn't experienced lust from men. Uh, it's kind of broad, but uh, it's pretty self-explanatory, something women in all cultures have experienced. In Jesus' time, though, the Greek and Roman influences had brought in pagan practices, which normalized prostitution in their temple worship. And so, I mean, if you think about, you know, if you wanted to expand your, your, uh, your Roman temple, there was a lot of temple prostitutes. And so that was actually a part of the worship, is that you'd come in, you'd kind of get some beliefs and systems, but then there would be like an orgy in their worship services. It's not clearly God's plan. Jesus' message was consistently about love, and the Bible consistently displays how love is the opposite of lust. And I would contend that respect for women and lust for women can't coexist in the same mind. So other than lust, there was another aspect of distrust. Distrust. This view can be seen in women's testimony not being, wasn't even considered uh, official in the courts. Uh, and there was a collective indifference about trust towards women and their views and their opinions or even eyewitness accounts of women. Jesus turned this misogynistic, sexist viewpoint on its head in so many ways. And then lastly, there's lust, there's distrust, and then there was disgust. There was disgust. Uh, it was, this was probably the most disrespectful mindset of all it forced women to the outskirts of society. It took regular part in a woman's uh, life, like her menstrual cycle, and stigmatized it. Blood flow was made to be personally ceremonially unclean, and so they had to be sent out of the city for their whole cycle, for their, their whole period cycle, like for a whole week. So you imagine you're trying to do life, but one week out of every month, you got to go outside the city. So the extremely low status of the Greek, Roman, and Jewish women had for centuries was radically affected by the appearance of Jesus Christ. His actions and teachings raised the status of women to new heights, often to the consternation and dismay of his friends and enemies. By word and deed, he went against the ancient taken-for-granted beliefs and practices that defined women socially, intellectually, and spiritually. So a beautiful example of this is the humane and respectful way Jesus 
treated and responded to the Samaritan woman at the well. So we're not going to use a scripture from it, but in John 4, there's this interaction with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Now, knowing a little background of Samaria, Samaria was filled with Jewish people who, in a couple generations previous, who had intermarried with Gentiles. They had compromised the kind of family of God by going against God's kind of order in the Old Testament by don't intermarry. But these group, this, this group of Jews kind of uh, intermarried, um, and it was largely brought on by the exile. Anyway, so they were seen by the kind of the pure-blood Jews as compromisers, kind of prostitutes to God's law. They had, they had, given, they had given themselves away. And so there was this huge stigma against any Jew from Samaria. And actually, there was, there was a path, and Jews would actually go around Samaria so they wouldn't have to go through it. But here, Jesus in John 4 is at the well with this woman at Samaria. And it may not appear unusual, again, to our Western culture, yet what he did was extremely unusual, even radical. He ignored the Jewish anti-Samaritan prejudices, along with the prevailing view that saw women as inferior beings. And he started this conversation with her, a Samaritan, a woman, in public. Now, right there, Jesus disobeyed a rabbinic law. There was a rabbinic law in Jesus' day that said, he who talks with a woman in public brings evil upon himself. Ooh, dang. And then Jesus is just rolling with this Samaritan woman. Another rabbinic teaching prominent in Jesus' day taught that not, uh, not is, uh, one is not so much as to greet a woman is one of their rabbinic laws. And so we can understand why uh, his disciples were amazed at finding him talking to a woman in public. Can we even imagine how it must have stunned this woman for the Messiah to reach out to her and offer her the living water for her thirsty soul? So among Jesus' closest friends were Mary Martha and Lazarus, who entertained him at their home. They were very close friends. In Luke 10, verse 36, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who had sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Like, this is what's expected. We are supposed to go out and be in the kitchen and fix stuff for the men in the house. What are you doing, Mary? Why? Tell her to come out. This is proper. It's, not, it's improper that she's in here. She's frustrated. But then Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken from her. Man, Mary assumed the traditional female role in preparing a meal for Jesus, her guest, while her sister Mary did what only men could do, namely, learn from Jesus' teaching. Mary was the cultural deviant, but so was Jesus because he violated the rabbinic law of his day by speaking to her and by teaching her spiritual truths. And when Lazarus died, a little while later, Jesus comforted Martha, the same one who got it a little wrong at her house, 
but with this promise containing the heart of the Christian gospel. And it's in this statement that he, we only find this statement with Jesus teaching it to Martha. And he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? These remarkable eternal words of truth were not blasted on a hillside. They were personally imparted by the Messiah to a woman. To teach a woman was bad enough, but Jesus did more than that. He called for a verbal response from Martha. Once more, he went against the social religious custom by teaching a woman and having her publicly respond to a man. Again, we don't notice these things, but Jesus is violating all these traditions of men in order to set right God's way on the planet. So all three synoptic gospels note that women followed Jesus. Now, this was a highly, highly unusual thing to happen in first century Palestine. It may not seem unusual. We're kind of familiar with like band groupies, right? You know, you kind of got the band groupies, and we, so we kind of read Jesus' story, and are like, oh, yeah, he kind of had a, there were some guys and gals kind of in his crew going from village to village. But it, is, it was really unusual. Scholars note that in the prevailing culture, only prostitutes and women of low repute would follow a man without a male escort. So these women were not groupies. Some of them even provided financial support to Jesus' mission. And then, to cap it all off, on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus chose to appear, first of all, to Mary Magdalene. She was the first person entrusted with the full gospel message that Jesus has died and now has risen again on the third day. Jesus told her, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to be to my God and your God. And though Peter and another disciple, perhaps John, had already been to the tomb, Mary wasn't the first one. They had already been to the tomb, but Jesus holds back until Mary comes and he entrusts Mary with the good news. And to understand why this is so revolutionary, you have to understand that at the time, a woman's testimony was not permitted in court. And yet, as God often does, he turns the wisdom of the world upside down and chose an unlikely witness to bear the most amazing testimony ever delivered. Not only was Jesus' choice of Mary revolutionary for the time, but it reveals something that we even see beautifully played out in the early church. Since the gospel writers include this important detail in their accounts. They didn't change the story. You could have, if you really wanted to create a, a, a gospel that, that had a little bit more uh, oomph, traditionally speaking, or from the world's ways, you would have maybe taken the second or the first male account about Jesus' message so that you would write that down so it would be authoritative. But no, these gospels got the point. God was turning the world system upside down, and the women are in the center of it. Jesus set in order the views and ways of God over and above the ways of the traditions of men. And we see this played out in the Jewish synagogue. Women had no place, no voice in worship. In the pagan temples, again, like I said, the women's place was to serve a lot of times as prostitutes. The church, on the other hand, was a place for women to pray and prophesy out loud. We see in 1 Corinthians 11.5, it says, every man who prays, this is kind of in a conversation 
it's a totally different subject, but Paul's talking about head coverings. So there's kind of some phrases here that's like, uh, that doesn't make sense, but he's kind of talking about head coverings in proper way. But he says, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So we're not going to get into like the technic, the theology of head coverings. However, there's this fact that like women were praying and prophesying when the, when the community was getting together. Why? Because the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead didn't just come on men. It came on men and women and fulfilled this prophecy from Joel that says, in the last days, young men and women will prophesy. Old men will see dreams. And it was this fulfillment of God's purpose of restoring what was lost from the Garden of Eden. When you think about how Adam and Eve were co-ruling with God, that's the original dream God's trying to restore through Christ. And his disciples got that. Come on. Older women were commanded to teach younger ones. The invitation to women to participate in worship of Jesus was unthinkable, but true. Dorothy Sayers, a good friend of C.S. Lewis, wrote this. Perhaps it is no wonder that the women who were first at the cradle and last at the cross, they had never known a man like this man. There had never been such another, a prophet and teacher who never nagged at them, who never flattered or coaxed or patronized them, who never made haughty jokes about them, never treated them either as the women, God help us, or the ladies, God help bless them, who rebuked without quarrelsomeness and praised without pomposity, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no axe to grind or no uneasy male dignity to defend, who took them as he found them and was completely unselfconscious. That is Jesus. And that is one of the most unfortunate truths about Christianity we have to acknowledge is that over the centuries, many Christ followers have fallen far short the standard Jesus set in showing the worth and dignity and value of women. And it's unfortunate some of the church followers, fathers that did not follow this woman honoring principles found in Scripture, they didn't change their unbiblical beliefs. And so, as we see, uh, there's, there's kind of this, there's, there's the failing of imperfect followers of Christ, but it's not a failure of God or His Word. I alluded it uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, if a person, if you're at a, if you're at a, if you're at a concert and somebody is playing Beethoven, and he messes up, do you blame Beethoven, or do you play the person playing Beethoven? So in the same way, when we look at these things, we have to look with fresh eyes to say, God, what are you trying to do? You're trying to restore what was lost at the fall. So the Christian ethic declared uh, equal worth and value for both men and women. Husbands were commanded to love their wives, to lay down their life for their wife. It's that interesting in, in, in Ephesians 5, that whole kind of section's about uh, husbands and wives. It starts off with this section. Uh, it says, submit yourselves one to another. Okay? So there's this attitude of a believer that our heart is submissive to one another. And in that same kind of spirit, 
he goes right into what a marriage relationship looks like. And he goes in and he's like, it's, it's a, a woman submitting to a man and a husband laying down his life for his wife like Christ did for the church. And it's this beautiful picture of what Christ and the church is about. These principles conflicted in direct conflict with the Roman institution of which was called patria potestas. All right? Now, that was in which gave absolute power of life and death over a man's family, including his wife. A man had the power, absolute authority. He could do whatever he wanted. But that was finally repealed by an emperor who was moved by high biblical standards and views of women. And what a tremendous effect that that had on culture. Women were granted basically the same control over their property as men, and for the first time women were allowed, mothers were allowed to be guardians of their own children. The biblical view of husbands and wives as equal partners caused a sea of change in marriage as well. Christian women started marrying later. They uh, married men actually of their own choosing. It eroded the ancient practice of child brides, many of which that were 11 or 12 years old, and some that still practices uh, child brides in areas still today that where the gospel hasn't actually gotten to. Uh, you see the flowering out of, um, uh, there, was, oh, there was a common practice in India. Check this out. Oh, there was a common practice in India that if you were married and your husband died, the woman would be burned on his funeral pyre. You'd die together. So it's like, baby, don't you die on me. You know, it's like, because <laughs> I'm going with you. But that was eliminated when the gospel came through India and to completely transformed their culture. In the same way in China, where uh, women bound their feet. Uh, it, was a, it was a way to keep women from not going anywhere. I mean, it, it, was, it, 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 it completely changed the form of their foot. And then the gospel comes through, even just 100 years ago. And foot binding was an eliminated practice. Wherever the gospel goes, wherever the light of Christ and the message of Christ, tremendous freedom follows. Uh, another aspect, just uh, this was kind of intriguing, but just another aspect of the salt and light of Christianity uh, was his impact on the common practice of polygamy, uh, which demeans no women. Now, many men, including Old Testament heroes, had multiple wives. But Jesus made it clear it was never God's original intention. And whenever he spoke about marriage, it was always in the context of monogamy. It wasn't the two, not three or four, shall become one. It's just, just, just two. Just two. Um, and so as Christianity spread, God's intention for monogamous marriages became the norm. And so the record speaks for itself. First century women in Palestine were second-class citizens. Sadly, some church leaders have still, have still viewed and treated women in this way. But Jesus turned the tables on his culture, and his example calls us to do the same. Again and again, Jesus affirmed, affirms women's value and dignity. And so it's our heart. May we walk in the same attitude of Christ, fighting for women's dignity and value, fighting for them to, help them, to help them see their worth and value through the eyes of their Heavenly Father. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much how you set right the things that were not right. And Father, I pray that, Lord, as I pray that we would capture your heart 
how Jesus viewed women, worth, value, dignity. God, and how we see there's so many aspects in our culture today that, God, are fighting against that picture of biblical femininity. And so, Father, we pray that, Lord, we would be those that fight for that. Lord, that we would be those that have that mindset. Lord, that we would be those that could be your arms, hands, feet, voice, life to those that have been hurt, that have been wounded, that have been beaten, maybe even physically, Lord. But God, down by life, that need your touch, that need to look you in the eyes to see how you see them, Father. Father, they may have never even seen a male look at them in that way, but God, I pray that we would capture a vision of your eyes and your passion. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us your heart. Lord, you broke the mold. Jesus, if if there's a wound in this area, God, I pray Lord, you're here right now. I pray that you would heal those areas in our heart that may have been wounded by this very thing. Pray that you would heal and restore those areas in our heart. Father, maybe there's an attitude or belief that has emerged that God, you need, you just that you need to you need to bring to the cross, that you need to bring to God this morning. An attitude, an idea that has maybe lodged, been lodged in there for a while. Today is your day. Bring it to the cross to say, God, I've held on to this. I give this to you. My understanding, I give this to you. God, I pray that you would mold my understanding, shape my way I view the world and view people. So Holy Spirit, come minister to our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your your just voice of the Holy Spirit. That, God, you can take broken messes like us. God, you can take us jaded, wounded, hurt, Father, and just make alive. God, you can take those very things in our heart and heal them and restore them. And they may become the very thing that gives us grace into other areas, other people in our life to speak your truth. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, we pray that we have a great Mother's Day. Pray that, Lord, your understanding, your vision would uh, impact and change and transform us to be your people in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.